at Mercer Station 4 begins in five minutes. Empty those bedpans and get your butts over here, everyone. Ace? Yes, me? Yes, Ace, it's me. Oh, thank God you're awake. Dr. McCoy, code red in room 1701. Where am I? Well, you're in the hospital. Dr. McCoy, you are urgently needed in room 1701. Here, drink this. You must be parched. You haven't had anything to eat or drink in a week. A week? You've been in a coma for a week. According to the doctors, it was a crapshoot whether or not you'd ever wake up again. Dr. McCoy, situation in room 1701, critical. What happened? Well, you were in the lab trying to figure out how to break open the 70-million-year-old tennis ball. Ball? Yes, you know, the one that was found in the extraterrestrial necklace hanging around the neck of the velociraptor I dug up. You were trying to figure out how to break it open when you were struck by lightning. Dr. McCoy, where are you? Everyone's been trying to figure out how it could possibly have happened. The chief asked CISA's special agent, Alexa Von Lucy, Grand Duchess of Bigger, to investigate, and she determined the lightning must have come in through the open window, slashed through the ball you were holding in your hand, then struck you in the heart. No. Yes, the doctors are calling your survival a miracle. Dr. McCoy, your presence is no longer required in room 1701. He's how am I supposed to get any work done on the chapter I'm editing regarding the collision of the Andromeda and Milky Way galaxies for the giant book of destiny? It's about the broadcast, ma'am. The one we're running to demonstrate the infinite, all-knowing workings of destiny by focusing on the life of a single individual? The one featuring CESA's special agent Ace Galaxy, yes. Nothing more of interest is going to happen in the hospital where he is now. Well, except for a press conference called to determine which demographic is most at risk for contracting and spreading the superbug epidemic currently running rampant through the facility. According to my notes, a hospital official will shrug and say, and I quote, Who knows why shit happens? Life's a crapshoot. You're right. There's no need to stay here. Ace won't tell Yasmin anything important until they're alone in her apartment. Relocate the broadcast to Yasmin's living room when Ace is trying to figure out how to explain what really happened with the lightning. Are you comfortable, Ace? Can I get you anything? A cup of tea? A glass of water? Heartburn medication? No, no, I'm fine. I'm just really glad to be out of that hospital. So what was it you wanted to tell me? That dinosaur you dug up and called Eve was actually named Karen. No. Um... I had a very interesting conversation with a bolt of lightning the other day. No. Well, I have some news. The University of Toronto called me a few days ago. They were so impressed with my discovery of Eve, the first feathered dinosaur, they asked if I'd like to head an expedition to Egypt to search for the lost dinosaurs there. Eve wasn't a dinosaur. What do you mean, Eve wasn't a dinosaur? She might have been an evolutionary link between dinosaurs and birds... But she was still a velociraptor. Only she had a plume of feathers and a necklace holding a tennis ball around her neck. Anatomically, Eve was every bit a dinosaur, with accessories. But she didn't originate on Earth. Eve was an alien dinosaur. Oh, so dinosaurs on other planets like to wear jewelry. I don't know if there are dinosaurs on other planets. Ace, you're not making any sense. Maybe we should go back to the hospital to make sure there was no permanent damage from the lightning strike. Yasmin, let me try and explain. I didn't get struck by lightning that came in through the window. The lightning that struck me came out of the ball. Out of the ball? 
You remember how you could hear what sounded like a storm when you held the tennis ball to your ear? Well, in the same way you can hear the ocean when you listen to a seashell. Of course, I remember. Seashells don't contain the ocean, but the ball actually contained a storm. That's crazy and impossible. A tennis ball cannot contain a storm any more than a seashell can contain an ocean. The planet Tralala came into existence after a comet crashed through one of God's recycling piles. As a result, the beings on that planet recognize their oneness with everything, and with enough energy, they can communicate with or recycle into anything else. Tralala is a stupid name for a planet. <laughs> you are making this up. No, I'm not. I've been told many times I have no imagination. <laughs> the lightning struck me because it wanted to say hi. I'm okay. I'm leaving. Where are you going to go? This is your apartment. Fine. You leave. Okay, but if I leave, you'll never hear what the lightning told me about your dinosaur. The lightning talked to you about Eve? Lightning can't talk. That's impossible. I received a communication from one life force to another. What did the lightning communicate to you about Eve? Karen. Who's Karen? Your dinosaur. Her name wasn't Eve. It was Karen. Okay, maybe you'd better start from the beginning. From what the lightning communicated to me, Tralala dancers have been visiting our planet since Earth was so young it was still getting the hang of spinning. Tralala dancers? Their astronauts are all dancers? The dominant life form on Tralala look exactly like human beings on Earth. The only difference is, instead of walking or running, they dance everywhere they go. Another life form evolved to look exactly like humans. <laughs> That's impossible. Improbable, yes, but with enough time and space to play with, not quite impossible. I don't know why I'm listening to this. A Tralala dancer was visiting Earth during its primordial period. There was no visible life on the planet at the time, so he shrunk down to microscopic size in case there was any life hiding out of sight. So they invented space travel, but they never managed to come up with a microscope. Maybe they just like changing shape. Anyway, amoebas are apparently pretty scary looking up close and giant-sized. The dancer left his shoe behind while trying to make a quick escape from the blobs of jelly that were sitting there jiggling menacingly at him. You're talking about the microscopic tap shoe Akhenaten Jones found in the Precambrian rock? Yes. Go on. So dinosaurs had been lumbering around at the top of the food chain on Earth for uncounted millions of years when a ship from Tralala dropped by to see if anything interesting was happening on this, as the lightning described it, remote spilled drop of the Milky Way. Captain's log. Stardate. Fred, what's the stardate? Sturdy? Oh, jeez, I'm not sure, eh? I, I don't know the stir date either, eh? But it's, um, Tuesday, I think. All right. Captain's log, stardate... Well, whatever. No one listens to these things anyway. We are doing a routine orbit around Earth, and nothing has changed here for millions of years. See anything new out the window, Fred? Uh... Oh, jeez! Giant sweeping herds of leaf eaters flowing across the land like a chomping river to their feeding grounds, eh? Oh, oh, voracious meat eaters crashing into them like like drunks after a party, eh? <laughs> so, like there's some roaring gory battles and, and clashes of claws and teeth and splattering blood. It's like a hockey game, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same scene as we've seen here for the last few million years. Nothing new to report. Fred, restart the engines. Wait, um, Jean-Jacques, um, I don't mean to be, like, presumptuous or, like, tell you to do your job or anything, but, um, shouldn't someone, um, stay behind to compile a report on the planet's development since we were last here? Fred! Who is this person? That's Karen Footglom, sir. She's on board as a tourist, eh? Well, 
Please inform Miss Footglow that short of a gigantic meteor hurtling out of the farthest reaches of the galaxy and colliding into this planet, causing climactic calamity of an unprecedented degree, the scene here has no intention of ever changing. And tell her to only refer to me as Captain. Okay, Miss Footglow, my... Uh, I know, I heard him. Um, but my daddy paid wads and wads of money to get me on this stupid bucket of flying bolts. Did he? The money your daddy paid pretty much bankrolled this mission, eh, sir? And I didn't buy these new silver disco space boots just to sit on this boring old ship looking at a window. I want to go out there and shapeshift and stop time and masquerade as a local on an alien civilization and then brag about it to all my friends. Um, excuse me, Miss Footglow. Fred, come over here. That bubblegum-blowing person over there is not qualified for a stay-behind mission. Those are reserved for specially trained biologists, anthropologists, and sociologists who've studied for years to become adept at blending in with the indigenous life on a planet without interfering in any way. That's true, but she's... Shh! But she's really annoying to have on board, eh? Jean-Jacques! Can I stay or can't I? Yeah, Captain, sure. We got a transmission coming in from the good ship Tango, eh? Fred, take that. This planet has already been surveyed over a hundred times. There's nothing new to learn, and there's really nothing this Karen person can possibly do to cause trouble. The place has been ruled by tiny-brained reptiles for millions of years, and will continue to be ruled by them for millions more. Wait, Jean-Jacques, as annoying as Karen is, can you in good conscience leave her behind? There won't be another ship in this system for at least six months. She couldn't possibly survive here alone. Gee, sir, Captain Madden Snort. Madden Snort. <laughs> Captain Madden Snort from the Tango wants to know if we can spare some smokes, eh? Madden Snort. Your entire supply was dumped out of an airlock in a freak accident. Captain Madden Snort <laughs> says she can change course and swing by this planet by the end of the week if uh, we can leave a kilo or two of smokes for her. A week? Karen could survive on this planet for a week. Kilo or two of smokes in exchange for a ride for a bubblegum blowing, disco boot wearing, loudmouth tourist seems like a perfectly fair exchange in the grander order of things. Giant Book of Destiny here with a few interesting facts about the order of things. Go ahead, fact checker Fran, copy aid, explain. Uh, hold on a sec, I have to find that. Just flip back to the appendix. Oh, okay, got it. Sometimes, like when an entire civilization in a prosperous, well-meaning star system suddenly gets flesh-eating disease, existence seems utterly chaotic and pointless. Other times, like when a passing meteor slams into a planet that's been lying lifelessly dormant for eons and initiates the start of something that will one day produce a rose, it seems synchronistic and orderly. Through time and space, there are certain universal tenets. For example, no matter what the life form or political leaning of a planet's leaders, doctors follow a strict code of ethics, the first rule being do no harm. It says here in big black letters, civilized forward-thinking worlds also have a rule for ship's captains. Don't mess with the history of planets you visit. Uncivilized, backward-thinking worlds tend more towards conquer, subdue, and enslave or eat the inhabitants. In the universal game of tug-of-war, with forward-thinking worlds pulling for order and the backwards-thinking worlds tugging for chaos, a fine balance is achieved. Of course, the captain had no way of knowing the decision he was about to make would in short order break the first rule for captains and totally mess with the history of the Earth. Destiny out. Yeah, Karen, stay if you want. Whatever. Here, take this energy ball. 
You learned all about how these work in school, right? The live lightning inside the ball will provide enough energy for you to change shape or amplify your thoughts enough to reach a receiving station on Tralala if you need to call for a ride home. The good ship Tango will be here to pick you up at the end of the week. Say hello to Captain Maddensnort for me. Jerry, smokes, outside. Fred, prepare for takeoff. Finally, they're gone. Now, which dinosaur should I shapeshift into? One of those big green ones with the ginormous teeth over there? No, the only thing interesting about him are his teeth. Um, maybe one of the long-necked gray ones. Uh, no. This seemed like such a simple decision when I was daydreaming about telling Sue Ann about how much more interesting it was to stomp around as a dinosaur than hang out as a whiff of hydrogen on some stupid gas planet. But now that I'm out here with these big, loud, dim-witted beasts, it's like staring into a closet full of ugly, ill-fitting outfits without a dash of color to sparkle anything up. Two choices. Gray or green. Where's the funk? Where's the glamour? If the Tyrannosaurus Rex that's about to rip Karen to shreds had been one of the saber-toothed cats that will appear on this planet in a few million years, Karen would simply have been eaten where she stood, her final thought being, Where's the glamour? But Tyrannosaurs are not by nature quiet about, well, anything they do, so when you're about to be devoured by one, you have plenty of earth-shaking thumps, ear-popping roars, and teeth-gnashing towards your face notice. Since the Tyrannosaur is making such a spectacle of himself, Karen has enough time to stop time and sidestep her imminent death. Uh, ma'am, listeners don't know about time stopping. Hmm. Fact checker Fran, explain. Oh, okay, that's probably back here in the appendix too. Uh, yep, got it. Stopping time might seem like a complicated thing to those who are stuck in it, but every school child on Tralala knows time is simply a perception of experience in sequential order. Hold on. I, uh, I lost my spot. So much for sticky notes. In time immemorial, all of time could be experienced at once, but everyone complained about the information overload, so the head honchos at the giant book of destiny decided to simplify things and sent out a mandate requiring all time to be experienced sequentially. Right. Since sequential time is little more than a dimension created to fulfill a mandate from head office, Tralala dancers have learned to alter their vibrational frequencies in order to switch dimensions by tapping into their inexhaustible supply of an energy ball. In different dimensions, time proceeds at different rates, and in some of them, time has stopped altogether. Now that I'm in this time stop dimension, I can see that this place is even more boring and pointless than looking out the window of a spaceship. Since these stupid dinosaurs are all as funkless as each other, it doesn't really matter which one of them I shift into. I guess that one suspended in midair, jumping over a rock looks pretty loud on its feet. I'll shift into one of those, whatever they are. Comet the crash through the recycling pile! I can't hold my energy ball with these stupid claws! What did it say in that inane in-flight safety procedures presentation? And when shape-shifting into a creature without hands or pockets, remember to include a belt or harness to hold your energy ball. If you lose it, you'll be sorry. Belt or harness? Forget that. A necklace is way cooler. There. Now the ball is safe and secure. Uh, I don't want to go out there with those gross green loudmouths. I'll just put my headphones on and boogie to some sweet tra-la-la tunes so I don't have to listen to them. Hey! Hey! Why don't I just wait in this time stop dimension listening to these tunes until the good ship Tango gets here? I wonder how long a week is when time is stopped. Okay, let's see. A minute when time is stopped would take... Um, uh, forever. 
So 10 minutes when time is stopped would take forever. And, and then a week when time is stopped would take, oh my God, it would take forever. I might as well just get this over with. Maybe this shape's not so bad. Let's see, I have a nice tail. My arms are a little stubby. Hey, my feet aren't touching the ground. Remember, gravity may be different on other worlds. Shapeshifters must make a concerted effort to compensate to avoid detection. What do I care if these ridiculous reptiles notice my feet aren't quite touching the ground? What local authorities are they going to report me to? I just wish there was something I could do about the way I look. Wearing green always makes me look, well, green. What about feathers? A plume of feathers would totally set off this gap. Wow, my favorite song! Crank it! note under the asterisk here. A very little known fact about dinosaurs is how influenced they were by trends. If something caught on like stubby arms paired with bone crushing teeth, it could persist for millions of years. The feathers Karen sprouted along her back and arms may have started off as a trend for the fashion conscious, but for certain dinosaurs it eventually took off as a whole new way of life. I guess the flamboyancy of a peacock and the flashiness of a flamingo can all wave a feather of thanks to Karen's sense of flair. Unfortunately, her sense of flair is also making Karen a flamboyant, flashy target for that Giganotosaurus coming up behind her. Had she compensated for the difference in gravity as stipulated in the in-flight safety procedures presentation, the ground-shuddering footfalls of his approach would have ruffled all of her new feathers. As it is, she's concentrated on a single thought. If only I had a mirror. As it turned out, the Giganotosaurus didn't like the taste of feathers and the headphones gave him a tummy ache, so he left Karen where she lay and went off in search of less funky prey. From the time Karen set foot on Earth to the time she was summarily attacked and killed by a stubby-armed Giganotosaurus with bone-crushing teeth was approximately one hour. One hour was more than enough time to initiate the growth of a new limb on the tree of life on Earth and write one of the planet's greatest living poems. The evolution of hulking, thumping behemoths into lighter-than-air flights of fancy. Nicely said, ma'am. 71,985,344 years after Karen's death, while digging up the remains of the world's first feathered velociraptor, Yasmin Stanislavski will uncover what looks like a tennis ball in an inexplicable necklace. Is this your first time in Egypt? Yes, it's our first time. Ace, how is it possible to fit four lanes of traffic into two lanes? <laughs> Isn't there a law against horses and buggies and cars and motorcycles and uh, donkeys? All trying to occupy the same spot at once? Ace, how can you sit there knitting so calmly when this cab driver obviously has so little regard for human or uh, camel life? Yasmin, do you remember our taxi ride from the airport when that blue truck with a horse in the back came so close to our cab that the horse's tail flew into the window and whipped me across the face? Yes. That's when I realized the only way to avoid feeling mortally threatened while in a cab in Egypt was to knit. Where are you from, my friend? Americana? No, I'm from... No, 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 don't tell me. I guess, I guess. Inglese? No, please, don't take your eyes off the road to ask me questions. Yes, I'm so glad you decided to come with me while I search for the lost dinosaurs of Egypt. Fransawi? No, 
But you still haven't told me what the chief said about your report on alien artifacts from Tralala. Espanol! Canada. I'm sorry, Yasmin. I was under strict orders not to talk about the case to anyone. Why? The chief said it was a matter of national importance. A Canada try! Well, are you still under orders? No, I quit. You quit, Sisis? What happened? I stopped knitting and looked up just as we barely avoided knocking that kid off his KFC delivery bike. No, no. Why did you quit CSIS? Oh, after the chief showed the report to the head honchos at head office, he asked me if anyone else had seen it. I told him no one had seen it yet, but I planned to go to all the major newspapers with definitive proof that we are not alone in the universe. That Earth has been visited by beings from another planet twice that we know of, probably many more times than that. And if there's one other civilization out there, there must be millions more. Captain Kirk! The HHHO had a problem with your report? According to the Chief, information regarding life that may or may not exist off this planet is classified, and visits from existent and non-existent off-world life forms is extremely classified. Not only is it illegal for me to talk about it, it's also highly unpatriotic. Unpatriotic? A special agent from CSIS proposing the infinity of space contains something other than endless amounts of nothing, except pretty stars and empty planets all sitting up there only for Earth's amusement? Canada would become the laughingstock of the rest of the world. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Maybe the source of some snide snickering, but surely not the laughingstock. Maple syrup. People who believed me would start making a lot of noise, saying it was time to stop focusing on our differences and recognize that we're one big extended bickering family, one of an incalculable number in existence. It would become a turning point in our collective viewpoint, same as when Galileo used the telescope to show us our place in the cosmos. Fence-sitters would start questioning beliefs they never bothered thinking about. Then all that thinking would infuriate staunch believers, especially the ones who never thought about anything. Hockey night in Canada! But people have the right to know. Certain individuals can't decide what the rest of the world can or cannot handle. That's why I quit. Well, if you quit, then what stopped you from going to the press anyway? All my evidence was in the file I handed over to the chief, and the file is the property of CSIS. That evidence is the property of the whole world! City TV! Everywhere! Was. It's already been destroyed. When I left, the chief was in the process of filing my report. The only problem was he couldn't decide whether it should go in the giant red filing cabinet marked hoaxes and crackpot allegations, or the one marked impossible, unbelievable, and unsolvable. If I go to the press now, I'll just be another crackpot with an unsubstantiated, unbelievable story. Canada, the second largest country in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean in the east to the Pacific Ocean in the west. In between mountain ranges, punch holes in the sky, endless prairies so flat you can watch your dog run away for over a week, and vast green seas of undulating forests that spend their time sighing at their own magnificence. What did you say? Royal Canadian Mountain Police. But what are you going to do now, Ace? For now, I'm going to hang around with you while you search for the lost dinosaurs. I don't have any other plans. Something will turn up. At least we know the truth, Yasmin, and that's something they can never take away from us. Putin, Tabernak! What Ace doesn't know is that prior to destroying all his evidence, the head honchos at CSIS shared his findings with the head honchos at other spy organizations around the world. The consensus is the information Ace has uncovered must be kept secret at all costs. Ace is now officially under surveillance. If he tries to share what he knows with the press, he will be stopped. 
permanently. Uh, yes, and Yasmin, since she knows what Ace knows, her destiny is irrevocably tied to his. Whatever happens to him will also happen to her. Destiny out. In that episode of The Destiny of Special Agent Ace Galaxy, Gord Mare starred as Ace Galaxy, Michelle Cote as the editor-in-chief of the Giant Book of Destiny, Eric Blom-Gagné as the aide and ship's ensign, and Elise Blom-Gagné as fact-checker Fran, with Madeline Patton as Karen Footblom, William Patton as the captain, J.C. Paquette as Fred and the cabbie, Misa Basada as Yasmin Stanislavski, and Lisa Kalisma Davis as hospital voice and spaceship recording. The groovy tune Karen Footgolm was listening to was Stuck in the Middle by the Elwins. The program was written by Misa Basada and produced by Leslie Burton and Misa Basada with theme music by Jewel Beat. It was directed by Martin Biot with audio production by Simon Bowers at Skylight Studios, Toronto. Want more Ace? Check out our website, acegalaxy.com. Like us on Facebook, Follow us on Twitter or drop us a line at projectace1 at gmail.com.